0: Hello, I'm Clip Boone. Welcome to my first ever podcast. On each of these podcasts, I'll be telling you a few stories from me 30 years or so in the music industry. That's about three decades of being in a band called Inspiral Carpets, two decades or so of being a radio presenter, and many, many years, four decades or so of hanging out with legends or kids that went on to become legends. Each podcast will give me an opportunity to pick out a particular song that I've written from over the years and tell you about what inspired the song and how it came about. And at the end of each podcast, I'll leave you with a track from a new unsigned band or artist. Those of you that know me well know that I'm pretty keen to help the uh, the next generation of uh, new music makers. So whatever chance I can to help things along, I do. On this episode, Sean Ryder's tips on the consumption of over-the-counter drugs... Noel Gallagher acquires a vital piece of equipment for the Inspiral Carpets from a moving vehicle. And our world famous opera singer Alfie Boar climbed up a ladder into my attic in a little house in Rochdale to make his first ever recordings. I'll also be telling you what made me write the Inspiral Carpets song Sackville. And this podcast's unsigned band are a bunch of lads from Chesterfield, They're called the Time Sellers. My podcasts are brought to you by Distorted Productions and, as always, thanks to our friends at Red's True Barbecue in Manchester for their support. If you like the show and you want to hear more, please subscribe using iTunes, meaning that you'll get the new podcast automatically each week. And if you've got time, give it a little review. I appreciate the love. Right, let's get on with it. Storytime with Boone with Red's True Barbecue. I'm going to start this podcast with a a little story that I like to call Dr Ryder, we'll see you now. Between the years 2001 and 2003 thereabouts, I spent a lot of time doing DJ trips up and down the country with Happy Monday's frontman, Sean Ryder, a good friend of mine. And during that time, it's fair to say that he wasn't in a great place, like financially it was in a bit of a tight spot because of the legal altercation with his previous management. And I got a call one day from Bez asking if I could help Sean out, and it's fair to say Sean's profile at that time, it wasn't that great, neither was his health, he was still showing the battle scars of 20 years of intense partying, I think that's a nice way to put it, isn't it? And I've always admired Sean, I've always looked up to him, I've always obviously been a massive fan of his music, so I was happy to help when I got a call from Bez. and at the time I was pretty well established as a, a club DJ, I was getting work all over the country and abroad as well, so I started getting Sean DJ gigs here and there, so I'd, I'd book the gig for him and um, I'd pick him up drive him to the town where we were doing the gig, I'd get him to his hotel room, let him have a kit, wake him up when it's time for the gig, get him to the gig, and we'd do a DJ set together, so I'd be playing the tunes, and he'd be working the mic, doing all the twisting my melon man and all that business. And we had some great times, and Sean got to make some uh, much needed dosh that he he was after at the time. And I could write a book about my time on the road with Sean. To this day, we remain very good friends. But one of my favorite Sean stories that I'll tell you about now, is a time when we went to Stockton on Tees up in the northeast. And uh, we DJ'd together. We played at the Georgian Theatre. The gig was great. Sean played a Blinder. We all went off to bed after a big drinking session. And uh, the next morning, we're in the hotel bar, ready to check out. I think we were drinking Bloody Mary's to try and cure our hangovers. Well, I was on Bloody Mary anyway. And my wife, Charlie, was with us as well. She'd come along. She was feeling particularly rough. She had the hangover from hell. And then Dr Ryder sprung into action. So he gets a pen and paper out of his pocket and writes a little list. And packs me off to the nearest pharmacist with his shopping list, which included Nurofen, Paracetamol, Zantex, Rennies, and Lemsip Extra Strength. He says, get her a big bottle of Benadryl as well. That'll help her to get some kip on my own. And as I left the bar, he shouts out, get some Imodium too, because she'll probably get diarrhoea in a bit. He also says to wife, make sure Clint gives you a good sorting out, because I've always found that that helps. So I gets off and I, I look to the pharmacist and I comes back, spend about 25 quid on all this medicine. Puts it all down on the table in the bar. And Sean starts ripping boxes open and popping pills out of foil trays. And he comes out with a line, Right, whatever it says on the dosage, double it. If it says tech one, tech two. If it says tech two, tech four. If it says tech two every four hours, tech four every two hours. He says, they only write that shit on box to cover their own arses. That's what he said. Anyway, I'm by no means condoning the misuse of over-the-counter pharmaceuticals. But a nice little story which gives you a little insight into the mind of one of the greatest writers of our lifetime. And hopefully, we'll never get to hear the words. Dr Ryder will see you now. You know what I mean? <laughs> Tragic. <laughs> I'll tell you a nice little story about Noel Gallagher, I? Let's do that. I had the pleasure of working with Noel for a few years back in the late 80s. He uh, was in Spiral Carpets, Rody. So between the end of 89 and 1994-ish, we had some great times together. And he wasn't just our rowdy. I always tell people this. He was with us constantly. So when we weren't touring, he'd be working with us in the office. He'd be in the rehearsal room with us. He'd be in the studio a recording. We took him everywhere. It's so how he learned some of what he learned about the music industry before he started Oasis. And he'll tell you that himself if you ever meet him. And in 1990, our drummer Craig started saying that he'd really like one of those big cooling fans, you know, an electric fan that you put inside your drum kit to keep you cool during gigs, like what ACDC have and all that. Because he was getting really hot during gigs. He's a very physical drummer Craig, like a lot of great drummers are, he sweats a lot. And the little fan that he'd been using that we'd got from Boots or something had broken, and he said, oh, I want a big one. I want a big industrial one next time. Heavy Duty and all that, you know what I mean? Dead powerful. And we said, well, we'll get you one. We'll, we'll look out for one, but... It might be expensive, so don't hold your breath. Anyway, so one day, the band and Noel Gallagher were in a minibus driving through London. Very busy, stop-start traffic, as they call it. And suddenly, a big delivery van pulls out in front of our bus and drives on ahead of us in the line. And the van driver had inadvertently left the back door open, so it's one of those big steel roller shutter doors. And it was all the way up, and the van was completely empty, apart from one item, right at the front, and our drummer Craig spotted it, a massive, heavy-duty cooling fan, just like the one that he wanted. Craig's like, hey, go, oh, check it out. It's one of them fans that I need. <laughs> so Noel says, right, next red light, I'm having it. And about 30 seconds later, the van stops at a red light. Our van, our bus is right behind it. Noel jumps out, runs round to the back of the van, climbs up into it. In broad daylight, it's middle of London, dead busy. He walks along the van, picks up the fan, turns around to come back starts walking back at which point the traffic light turns to green and drives off with Noel still in the back of it teetering to the left and then to the right with his little feet trying to keep his balance still holding on to his big massive van and our driver did his best to keep up but the van kept getting further and further ahead kept pulling away every time it looked like it's stopping it sped off again Noel desperately holding on to his swagging back of it and eventually the minibus and the van got completely separated the minibus was at red light Noel had gone the van had gone We'd all look back at it, disappearing through Crouch End or wherever it was. Our beloved Roddy, nowhere to be seen. I would look like that because he's gone. And in those days, there's no mobile phones, you know. So we couldn't just phone him up and say, yeah, no, we're here. Uh, I'm outside Maplins. I've got the fan. None of that. He'd gone. But the story's got an happy ending. It's all right. It's all right. Don't get upset. It's an happy ending. Eventually, our minibus came round a bend to another set of lights and there on the pavement was little knoll sat on this most beautiful heavy duty industrial cooling fan you've ever seen and to this day that driver probably wonders what on earth happened to that electric fan from the back of his van and now you know mate it went to a really good home that's off to mr Noel gallagher definitely one of the coolest people ever to walk the planet you like this one. When I was looking for unusual people to collaborate with on my band, The Clint Boone Experience, that was a band I had between about 97 and 2000, I put word out with a couple of music industry mates of mine to listen out for people that I could collaborate with that were a little bit out of the ordinary. And I was basically wanting to make music that was uh, different from what I'd done with the Inspirals for the, the decade previously. Somewhere in the summer of 1998, I got a call from one of my friends who was in the music industry but her husband wasn't and her husband was a builder and he'd bumped into a a young lad from Fleetwood who was a a budding opera singer and the lad had heard my name come up in a conversation and sounded keen to try something so they put us in touch and I I got the phone to him, Uh, he was still living in Fleetwood with his mum and dad he'd recently left his job which was uh, paint spraying cars for the TBR car company and he was going to go to college to study opera which was his passion and he taught himself at home, he just just listen to his dad's opera music, you know, as a, as a kid. Grew to love the music he was listening to and emulate it. And while he was spraying cars at work, he'd be singing opera. And people would be like, you oh, should be doing that for a living, man. shouldn't be spraying cars. should be doing opera, like Pavarotti and that. Anyway, so we had a chat on the phone a few times and decided to get together and put some opera vocals down on uh, some of the new music that I was working on at the time. And his voice was incredible. I'd never, I'd never stood next to someone who could make that sort of noise it was just breathtaking and he started coming coming over to my house in Milner just uh, just outside Rochdale Manchester and he didn't have any transport so he'd get the train over and then after we'd finished recording I'd usually drive him home back to Fleetwood have a brew with his mum and dad and then uh, get back to my place and my studio back then was in my loft it was a little semi-detached house and we had to climb up a ladder to get into the loft and it'd always be dead hot up there. It was only a small room. you could have room for like two or three human beings maximum. And then all this uh, old analogue recording equipment. And we'd usually have to work with the, the Velux windows open, you know, those kind of windows that you have in attics that pop out, which meant that the whole neighbourhood could hear what was going on. It was quite a close, closely knit sort of community. Everybody could hear what I was doing. And I'd be in the local supermarket the next day, and people would be like, oh, was that bongos I heard last night, Clint, coming out your roof? Yeah, man, yeah, bongos, yeah. Was that you singing about Some the engine, man, the other night, Clint? Yeah, that was me, yeah, sorry about that. Was that fucking opera yesterday, mate? Yeah, yeah. What's that all about? They'd be like, that. what's that all about? I don't know, just, I like opera. I explained it to me, my neighbours in the shop because they, they could hear everything that was going on. Anyway, my opera singing friend was called Alf and I released two albums which featured us working together. And Alf joined the band uh, at gigs as well. He started doing gigs with us and I'd introduce him partway through the gig. I'd introduce him on stage. I called him Opera Dude. I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, welcome on stage, Opera Dude. And he'd come on in full evening dress suit and big wraparound sunglasses, earth slick back like hell. So he'd do two or three songs with us and then leave the stage and he'd always totally bring the house down. He'd be there like, We'd be playing our psychedelic garage music and he'd be like, oh, doing all that business. Uh. And every single night, even then, it was just quite obvious to me that he'd become a huge star at some point in his life. And one time at our house, in between recording, one weekday afternoon it was, we were downstairs uh, for a sandwich break and that and a brew, and we were dancing round in the living room, we were playing Elvis songs, we were both completely nuts about Elvis, and we were trying to break dance. and I used to do this party trick where I could put my hand on the floor and just take all my weight on my elbow pretty much by putting it into my ribs. Anyway, I broke two ribs. But we carried on anyway, we carried on, finished the recordings, records came out, the gigs were brilliant, Alf went on to become a huge superstar, he's now known as Alfie Bohr and he's world famous. He's also an opera singer who's famous even now for loving to rock out, he likes to do the rock music as well, still now and probably the highlight of Alfie's career so far would be when he got to sing on the roof of Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee in 2012. But it's always worth remembering that his first ever recordings were done in my roof in Milno, near Manchester. Well done, Alfie Bo, What a legend. That is 17 and over from the Clint Experience featuring Alfie Bo. And guess who I've got on the phone? Alfie Bo. How are you, fella? Hey,
1: mate, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. <laughs> what are you doing in New York? Oh, I'm on Broadway. I'm doing. Um, I'm playing in Les Miserables again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Les Miserables. Flip it eh, out, man. Les
1: Miserables. <laughs> on Broadway, what's
0: the, uh, the theatre then?
1: It's the uh, Imperial Theatre.
0: Right, is it a big one or what? A big, big posh one? It's a nice one,
1: yeah. It's about 2,000 seater.
0: Uh. So it's, it's
1: a nice size. It's not too bad. So I'm doing that every night, six, night, uh,
0: six nights a week. I've got a, a nice gig lined up on Broadway. Have you? Yeah, you know the, the main road from Oldham through Chadderton towards Manchester?
1: That's Broadway, isn't it? Yeah, there's a pub on yeah. there
0: called the, the, the White House. I'm doing a DJ gig in there. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> How long are you over there
0: for then? How long are you over there?
1: Yeah, I'm here until uh, February twenty eighth. Yeah, and then and then I, I I have about a week's holiday, and then I have to start another show over here as well until until August. Then so I'm I'm stuck in New York until August, really. Wow. Um, but it's nice. I mean, the, the, Broadway is a great world. I love it. it yeah. It's really nice, but it's it's hard work, and 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 I. I want to get back home soon and and uh, get back into the studio a bit and do my own concerts and things and um, but it'd be great. I was gonna say, Clint, that if you know if if um, if ever you fancy getting together, I'd I'd love to to chat about um, maybe doing something together, doing some writing or amazing. See, you know, see what we come up with together. You know, I'd, I'd love that.
0: Hey, Alfie, I would absolutely love that. Like I said to you last time, we spoke those tunes that we. Made together with some of the best work I've ever been involved with, I reckon. So yeah. I'd love to do that again. Let's try and make it happen as soon as we both got enough time in our diaries over the next year or two. Let's do it, yeah.
1: Well, I'd love that myself. I mean, I'm I'm planning on doing another tour next year, and if if we, I know we said this last time, but we we got to we got to try and make it work. And if if there's anything we can do together, I'd I'd love it. I would really love to work with you again, man. I really would. And get paid for it this time.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, well, that'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> that'd, be, that'd help, wouldn't it? So, I've just been talking, Alfie, about the time that we met late in the 90s, and we used to record music together in uh, my house in, in Rochdale. Do you remember those times?
1: In your attic, man. Yeah. I remember trying to crawl into that little studio in your attic room, man. I used to. I think that's why I've got a bad back now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the ladder. We had a little ladder, didn't we, together? The
1: ladder. Yeah, tiny little ladder.
0: It yeah. used to get dead hot, didn't it? So, we had to open the windows, and it meant that all the neighbours could hear this opera singing, and they'd all be like that the next day. Was that <laughs> yeah. opera? And I'm like, yeah, I like opera. And they're like, you're like, you've changed, Clint, you've changed. But yeah, good times.
1: It was a lot of fun, that man. I really enjoyed it. You know, especially, what was the song that we did where I had to do, I had to sing like 30 something top Cs.
0: Oh, uh, I think it was the first single, Only One Way I Can Go, I think.
1: Ah, that, was ah, yeah. ah, <laughs> that one. <laughs> but I think I sang that live with you. I, I used you to did. sing that live with you, and I did, I used to sing it live, 30, I think I counted it at one point, 37 <laughs> top C's in one song.
0: Well, you know what I mean, it didn't, didn't do you any harm, did it?
1: It didn't, no, it's alright, it's alright, no. Once the bleeding had stopped, it was alright. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nothing worse than a bleeding throat, is there? <laughs> <laughs> do you
1: remember the breakdancing, Alfie? Oh, man, yeah, yeah, I do. Was that the day... I think that was the same day. Um, was it Paul Gallagher was round at your house as well?
0: Yeah, Paul Gallagher, the big brother of Nolan Liam, was round.
1: And he was sat on your sofa, and then we just, I think we we out to some Elvis, and you tried to do some sort of breakdancing move backflip, landed on your coffee table, and bust you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> bust you, brought some ribs. <laughs> but we carried on, didn't we? We carried on. <laughs> we did. It
1: didn't stop him, man. I've got to say, that was that was a a lot of uh, a lot of credit to you to you there, man, to
0: carrying on. That was. Do you still like the Elvis stuff, Alf?
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it, mate. Yeah, I I try and um, I try and include a couple of couple of tracks, you know, um, in my uh, live shows. It really does get the get the audience going, you know. Yeah. I do some like um, uh, Suspicious Mind and Mystery Train and. We do sort of a bit of a medley just to get everyone on the feet and dancing, and it it really
0: works. And I saw you do it. I saw you do it when you did, when you did the Buckingham Palace gig a couple of years ago. You did a bit of a rock set there oh, afterwards. Right, yeah. So you're on you're on the roof. You're, you're on Queen's roof, weren't you? I was. I was on a balcony. I didn't nick anything. Did you get to meet her? I did. I
1: did. I met her afterwards. Yeah. Did she mention me? She sends her love, by the way. I forgot yeah. Right. To tell you, she did love. Yeah. Yeah. She. And she said, you owe her a, a fiver.
0: Yeah, I do, yeah. So, uh, but she's not good at getting back to me. I've sent her a few messages lately, and she just, no, she's I, not good at getting back, is she? I mean, it's not like she's busier out, is it? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying.
1: After that show, I was I was in the uh, meeting the Queen afterwards, and you, you know the comedian Lee Mack? Oh, was, yeah. Uh, stood next to me, and he said, Alfie, Alfie, I want, I've, I've got a favour to ask. And I said, what, what, what do you want? He said, I'm writing my autobiography, and I really need a picture of me and the Queen in it. <laughs> and can you take a picture for us? And I said, I can't do that, mate, while you're shaking the Queen's hand. I can't, like, say, sorry, Your Majesty, let me snap this shot for Lee's book, you know. And, and anyway, I, I took his camera, and I, I tried my best to take a picture, you, know, <laughs> you know, without a without noticing. And when the picture came out, it was basically just a photograph of Kylie Minogue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was class, not it?
1: it had Lee's hand, the Queen's hand, and Kylan Nogue right in the middle. Brilliant. <laughs> it went in his book.
0: <laughs> Amazing. What are you up to for the rest of the day, Alfie?
1: I'm uh, getting ready for the show. I have to go into the theatre about five o'clock and uh, start my uh, performance of Les Miserables, um, here on Broadway at the uh, Imperial Theatre. I'm here until the end of February, Clint, right. and uh, then I move on to another show after that um, on Broadway. So, I'll, uh, yeah, st- sticking around in New York until until August, now.
0: Right, you know what? I promised the wife, um, I think two years ago, not this Christmas just gone, but two years before that, I think I promised her a, a trip to New York as part of a Christmas present, and I never did it. So we might have to try and do oh. it while you're out there. That'd be, be nice to pop in and see you while we're over there, if we can make it this year.
1: Well, if you can, mate, I'll give you VIP treatment at the theatre if oh, you can nice.
0: make it over well, Will you stick me in your box? So you got a box like a royal box. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I will, I will do, man. Just don't do any break dancing There's <laughs> a couple of tables
0: in there. You might fall yeah. on. <laughs> and uh, definitely get to, back together when you get over here, and I'm uh, well up for doing some music together when you're uh, when you're ready for it. So. Would love to. Chris. Great talking to you. Lots Pleasure, of love mate. and uh, keep up the good work, a legend. And no doubt i will see you soon, yeah. All the best. All right, brother. See you down,
1: mate. Bye.
0: Do you want one more before I go? One more story, yeah? What I'd like to do on each of these podcasts is I'll tell you a story about one of the songs I've written and how it came about and what it meant to me. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? So today I'll tell you about a song called Sackville, which I wrote in 1989 for the Inspiral Carpets. It appeared on our debut album, Life, which came out in April 1990. And back then, we had an office in what was Manchester's Red Light District. It was quite a rough part of town. You only went there for three things, sex, drugs, or in our case, because the rent round there was really cheap. Our singer's girlfriend back then uh, was in the clothing business, and she had a unit on the second floor of an old Victorian building there. And we rented a little corner of her space and uh, built our little office there. The address was 42 to 44 Sackville Street, still there, I think it's apartments these days. And directly above us, on the third floor, was the studio stroke office space for Central Station Design. So they were the team... That did all the artwork for the Happy Mondays lot, and the proper characters as well, Matt and Pat Carroll, just like these insane characters of beautiful hippies, you know, <laughs> dead lovable. And when the Strange Ways riots happened, April 1990, so the same week that our debut album came out, there was these big riots in Strange Ways prison, and it ended up with loads of prisoners on the roof doing a rooftop protest. And we thought it'd be appropriate, at the exact same moment, to do a photo shoot on the roof of our building on Sightville Street, and there's a really nice semi-iconic shot of us sat on the roof of our offices and as i said it was it was right in the center of manchester's red light district back then and from our office window you could see the girls doing the business like day and night and we'd often chat to them on the way in on the way out while we're hanging out we'd have a laugh with them outside and they'd take the piss out of our clothes. and we'd tell them to get proper jobs and sometimes it follows about while we're doing stuff in the neighborhood so i remember one time fly posting and one of the girls was there saying, "Come on, hurry up! You're on the patchy. You're scaring the customers away." We put me like that. Just put in the post that we got a gig next week, and she's like, "No one's going to come to your gig with a silly name like that." There were always a bit of a giggle, and it was quite obvious what strong characters these girls were, and and that's what I tried to get over when I started writing the song. It did feel like there was a bit of camaraderie between us and them, all striving for better things, all from similar backgrounds. We grew up in the same town, you know, listening to the same records on the radio and following the same football teams and that. And the Cortina that's mentioned in the song belonged to Graham, our guitarist. He had a brownie gold Ford Cortina. We'd often cruise around in it at night having adventures, like young men in rock and roll bands always have done, really. You know, ever since bands and cars were invented, that's what they do, innit? You get in the car, you go around cruising about having a laugh and that. Then one night there was a murder right in the neighbourhood, right there, one of the girls died and it was was quite shocking at the time it it, it sounds strange saying it now but it did it felt like we were part of the same community and it happened right on our doorstep and that's where the song came from that was where i started feeling like writing something about it uh the day i heard the news and i started writing it all down and the worst feeling was the weird feeling was knowing that the words i was writing wouldn't change anything the words would never bring back the girl that had gone it never changed the way the world is it just become a song maybe a pop record But as a songwriter, I realised back then it was futile, it was all I could do, and that's why in the final verse I wrote the line, I guess I'll just go home and write a song about it. That's all a songwriter can do, really. And the rhythm that I played the keyboard chords, if I remember correctly, was directly influenced by some of the new music, the house music, the electro music that was here and in places like the Hacienda. And the song Sackville went on to become one of the best-received songs in our live set. The crowd always do that old uh, we-will-rock-you clapping thing in time of the drumbeat and these days that part of the town is called the village it was the gay village for a while it's now the village it's beautiful it's touristy aesthetically it's great and and in spirit it's wonderful I always think good songwriting is like being a photographer and I still hear sightbill and completely see the street and the area exactly as it was back then with all the girls dancing on curbstones as it says in the song I saw one of the girls again a few years later we'd made a bit of money by then the band and We'd been on the television quite a lot, and I bought myself a, a little old British sports car, a weird looking thing. It was like it looked a bit like the DeLorean out of uh, Back to the Future. And I was at a red traffic light near Piccadilly station, with my window down one day, and one of the girls spotted me and she shouted, Clint Boone, get a proper car <laughs> and that moment absolutely wore me out. Again, as it says in the song, stronger than a man could ever be. That's me off. So the Inspiral Carpets had just been on tour with Shed 7, uh, three or four weeks leading up to Christmas, and it's been brilliant. We had a couple of days off, and on one of the days off, I was on my way home uh, with the band on the on the bus, and one of the roadies said to me, are you looking forward to getting back in your own bed? Because we've been sleeping on the bus, basically. And I said, yeah, of course I am, man, yeah, of course I am. And then I thought, hang on a minute. Me and wife have got this massive bed that we bought. A few years ago, we thought, we would get the best bed we can afford, a big one. It's about six foot wide. I think they call it super king size. And it's brilliant. But the only problem is we we're like, we like believe in letting our kids sleep with us if they want to. And the other two, Oscar, now 11, Hector, 8, you know, at some point years ago, they decided that having their own room would be great and they moved on. <laughs> but the little one, Cassius, 5, he's still sleeping with us. He's like, he loves it. And he's quite tall now. And he's active in the night. A lot of, you know, when kids sometimes do that starfish thing when they spread everything out in their sleep. He does that. He does a lot of kicking and punching, and you know, again, not being aggressive, just in his dreams and that. He tends to gravitate towards my side of the bed. He's got this, he's got this sixth sense. That he knows when I'm there, and he comes over. So I sleep on what they call the piping on the edge. And the other thing that he does, which goes back to when he was a baby and he was breastfeeding, is he does this thing which is like it's like kneading with his fingers, and it it, it does it, it pinches you, right. He pinches me under the arms like when he's going to sleep for comfort. Like when cats do that with a blanket with the clothes before they get down. It's that sort of primal thing that's a primal instinct. And he's five and he still does it. And it's lovely. It's lovely, but I don't get a proper night's sleep. A lot of time I end up having to just go and find a bunk bed somewhere that none of the kids are using and all that. And a few months ago we, we persuaded him to let us decorate this spare room that we've got and we would make it into his bedroom. And he was like, yeah, I love that, yeah. And he, he picked the colours, everything green, various shades of green, green curtains, green carpet, green bedding, everything green. And we did it. Took a few weeks, got it sorted out. And then we finished it and, you know, he played in it first night and then came to bedtime, gets him with us. We're like, what are you doing? He's like, i sleeping with you. What about your bedroom? You've got your own bedroom now. He says, no, that's for playing in. Me sleep with you. Me sleeping with you. I'm like, you can't do that. I've just decorated a room. Green. What are we going to do with the Green room. He's like, it's my playroom. Me sleep with you. So he's still in with us. He's still in with us. I think he? He's probably still going to be in with us when he's 18. and You know what I mean? Anyway. But I do believe that core sleeping is a great thing. And uh, for little Cassius, it's been brilliant. And he's just one of the most beautiful human beings on the planet. But when somebody says to me next time, are you looking forward to getting back in your own bed, Clint? You know what, mate? I might just keep on kitchen floor. Right then, so the unsigned band I'm going to leave you with on this podcast, uh, four lads from the Council Estates of Chesterfield, they're called the Time Sellers. Apparently they don't have any of their own equipment yet, they have to borrow everything, but they're already gathering a very large and very loyal and uh, very noisy following. You can find them on Twitter, at Time Sellers. They're on SoundCloud as well. And they're another great example of the incredible talent that's out there, loads of it, just sat there waiting to be discovered. So all you be rock stars that are out there that might be listening, keep on writing those songs, keep on learning those guitar skills and banging those drum skins. And if, if electronic music's your thing, just look at the two lads out of Disclosure. Because from what I've seen over the years, dreams can come true. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another podcast. Be safe. Storytime with Boone, with Red's True Barbecue. Subscribe now on iTunes.